Hey everybody, welcome to a Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. It's about noon on Wednesday. We just heard from Andrew Berry, of course, the GM of the Cleveland Browns. You probably know that if you're listening to this podcast. But anyway, let's get into what Andrew had to say today. And I, there's a lot to touch on. Um, he covered a lot of areas, but let's just start with kind of where everybody is right now and this Deshaun Watson injury situation, Mary Kay. So he kind of offered up, I don't want to say his side of the story, but he sort of offered up what he saw and, and kind of the process from last week. So what did you think about Andrew addressed the situation with Deshaun's injury? Well, I think what he really tried to do was bring it back to an organizational decision instead of the message that sort of uh, was perpetuated the other day when Kevin Stefanski said that Deshaun had been medically cleared, took himself out of the game, but he trusted he knows his body. That turned into Deshaun Watson just decided on his own not to play. And he's been taking a lot of heat for that. Uh, I, I even heard uh, on the radio this morning someone reporting that Players were aggravated. Uh, his teammates were aggravated that he did not play. So it was starting to turn into a thing. And I think uh, Andrew wanted to kind of change the narrative on that a little bit and make sure that as an organization, when we watched him throw out there and he was throwing five and 10 yard passes, we all agreed he can't drive the ball. And that is why he couldn't play. He didn't feel like uh, he could go out there against the Ravens and get the job done effectively. Now, I will say that I still wonder if 60 or 70% of Deshaun would not have been better than 100% of DTR. But we'll never really know the answer to that. Uh, but I think this was an effort today uh, by, by Andrew to kind of rein that back in a little bit. And it was interesting because, you know, obviously, like you said, Kevin, Kevin definitely took another tact on, on Monday when he talked to us via Zoom. So this was Andrew sort of, at least with his opportunity, to, to back that up a little bit and, and kind of, I guess if we want to say back the bus up, uh, off of Deshaun a little bit here. Um, it, it was interesting that, that he felt it was important to kind of put that out there. And this is just one of those things, like it's early in the season, it's week five now. I, you know, I'm not ready to make any declarations, but we just kind of bookmark some of these things, right, Ashley? Yeah, I mean, and I think today was really the first time someone publicly in the organization, like, actually explained the decision. Like, it felt like they had not done a very good job of that on Monday or Sunday after the game. Um, but, like, I think the confusion was coming from, well, if he was medically cleared, and it wasn't a pain tolerance thing, both of which were said on Sunday and Monday, then what was it? <laughs> like, what kept him out? But Andrew, I think, going up there and explaining, like, it was that he couldn't drive the ball down the field, which, like, Mary Kay was there watching those throws. Like, I think that's what you saw. Like, it was just these little passes that he was making in the pregame, little, like, 10, 15-yard passes, not, not anything more extravagant than that. I think that was the most of an explanation that we got. And on some level, that is important because I think that confusion alone was causing at, at least a lot of angst on Twitter, which I don't, I don't know if it was causing angst further than that, but that's what we saw. And Kevin Stefanski had said, uh, you know, during his press conference that, that Deshaun, you know, couldn't drive the ball and hadn't driven the ball all week. So we knew that that was uh, the issue for him, uh, that he just didn't feel like he could do that. But... Nevertheless, the, the big, huge takeaway from the Kevin presser was, okay, Deshaun went rogue mm -hmm. and made a decision 
and did a 180 from everything he had been telling everyone. And the, it seemed like there was a disconnect between him and the team. And I think Andrew really put the pieces back together to make sure that there is not this narrative floating around out there that Deshaun just went off by himself and did something that nobody expected. Okay, so I do want to push back just a little because I do think that's what Andrew was trying to do. But I still feel like to say that they went out there on Sunday and saw that he couldn't drive the ball when we know all week that they they were seeing that, right? And Kevin even said they didn't see him drive the ball. So even in the in the way that Andrew framed it, it was still, it's hard for me to not see it as they were seeing one thing, they were being told another thing, and then when it came time to make the final decision, everything they, that they got told got flipped on its head. So, you know, again, it still feels like there was a disconnect there because it's not like they showed up on Sunday and realized, oh my God, Deshaun can't throw. Like we saw it, you know, they saw it even more than we did. Like Deshaun could not throw last week. And so I still think there's some sort of disconnect there between what they were being told right up until, right up until decision time and then bang, all of a sudden he decides he's not going to play. Well, this wouldn't be the first time in the history of the NFL right. that a quarterback hasn't been able to practice during the week and needed every single second to get well for the game. You don't want to go out there and mess up your shoulder on Thursday and Friday and have a setback. You don't want to do that. And I think that's what the feeling was, is that he was really, really resting it. There was some fluid in there. He did admit that uh, to Evan Washburn of CBS, that there was a little bit of fluid in there. And I really think that when I talked to Deshaun at his locker on Friday, there was no doubt in his mind that he was going to be ready by Sunday. It didn't mean that he wanted to test it on Friday and see if he could drive the ball because 48 hours of treatment is a long time in the medical world and in the world of these professional athletes. When you've got cryo and you've got acupuncture and you've got cupping and you've got all of these modalities to heal, 48 hours is a long time. So it certainly would not have been the first time that a quarterback rested for most of the week and then played on Sunday. I would not have been shocked if that had happened. I think that's what he thought uh, was going to happen. Um, and I also think that, um, you know, sometimes there are other people that get involved in the de decisions for you. Sometimes you consult with your own doctors. You know, sometimes you consult with your own team. And Deshaun does have an entourage. And even though uh, he, of course, is relying very heavily on the opinions of the Browns medical staff and all that kind of stuff, I think sometimes there are, you know, there are more cooks in the kitchen than we sometimes realize. And, like, to me, it just, like, they needed to have a better plan B. Like, so Deshaun is telling you all week, yeah, I'll play, I'll play. And that's great. Like, you can listen to that and, and you know that he knows his body. You have to trust that. But also, I think what it comes down to is this coaching staff needed to have a better plan B. I don't put this as much on Deshaun. I put this on they just needed to make sure. They just needed to acknowledge there was a chance that on Sunday it would look like it had all week. And you know what? He can't play. Need to have a better plan B. And I, I don't know. I could go down a million conspiracy rabbit holes here um, regarding what Kevin said on Monday. But they... Uh, that, that, I think, was the biggest shortcoming, is they just didn't have a good enough plan B. It, it just felt like, it felt like they weren't completely prepared for Deshaun not to play. 
Yeah, and you can't call the same game for DTR, a rookie quarterback, who's making his first start against a pretty tough defense and in division opponent the same way you would call the game for Deshaun or use the same script. So, yeah, I think in that way, like, the planning could have been a bit better and, like, there should have been more of this focus on, okay, we're going to give him the easier looks early. Like, you know, we talk about, I think it was Lance Reisland talked about on the podcast, or maybe we did. I don't know. Everything's getting lost in my mind. Like, <laughs> on, on the one interception, I think the first interception, or maybe this could have been a Lance and Ashley side conversation. Like, <laughs> DTR tries to thread this tight window, right? Like, to, I think, Amari. And the easy completion of David Najoku was right there in front of him. So it's, like, stuff like that, right? And maybe... Maybe emphasizing just those easier looks. We talk about that a lot with these guys who are younger or newer in this offense. So I think, yeah, that's that's where a change, I think, could have been most tangible and still easiest to make. Okay, let's move on to another topic. And let's talk about something that you wrote on Tuesday night, Mary Kay. Um, you made the case that the Browns should make a trade to go get Jonathan Taylor. If he, and I just saw a tweet today that they're opening up that 21-day window for him to come back. So if he decides that he still wants out and the Colts decide that they want to trade him, they want to honor that request, that the Browns should get involved. So I, I guess just give us some background on what you wrote and, and your thinking behind that. Well, first let me say that Jonathan Taylor still wants out of Indy, okay? So I know that he does. Uh, So that was one of the reasons why I felt pretty good about writing what I wrote. Uh, It's not like everything is wonderful over there in Indy right now. Um, So that's number one. And then, you know, I just started analyzing the whole situation and really thinking hard about what's going on with the Cleveland Browns right now. And they have available to them a Nick Chubb-like player. You cannot replace Nick Chubb easily. You just can't. And if you find somebody like that, there's not many. There's Nick, there's Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Jonathan Taylor, basically, right? I mean, that pretty much covers the gamut of that type of back. They transcend your average running back in the NFL. And they get paid for the most part. Christian McCaffrey, he's making $16 million a year. That's a lot of money, but it didn't bother the San Francisco 49ers to go get him last year for not even a first-round pick, for some, you know, mid-round pick, second, third. I can't remember what the whole haul was. Um, but, you know, they they acquired him in a trade uh, with the Panthers for, for uh, you know, a bunch of draft picks. And he, in his 11 games with them last year, He rushed for, I think, almost 800 yards, and he scored both in the run game and the passing game, I think, 10 touchdowns in his 11 games. He helped get them. He was a major reason why they got to the NFC Championship game. And I think it's evident now that when the Browns need to really, really run the ball effectively at this moment against a stout run defense, they are struggling to do it, okay? They're having a hard time doing it. They thought they were going to be able to do it with Jerome. They thought they were going to be able to do it more with Elijah more than they have already. Um, they, they thought that they were going to be able to do it with Kareem. Now, Kareem should get better. Jerome, I told, I've said 6,000 times he missed all of training camp. Uh, Elijah, they haven't figured him out yet. The point is, they're not really running the ball well. They're, they're not run blocking well either. They're 25th in run block win rate on their offensive line. Their two offensive tackles are not you know, run blocking well at this point. They'll probably get better, Dewand will, uh, for sure. But right now, 
they need some help in the running game. They need to be able to support their quarterbacks in the run game. And so my, the method to my madness here, and I'm telling you right now, I believe Andrew Barry when he says, no, we're not going to do that. I don't think they have any inkling to do this whatsoever. But I think that they should. And I've learned over the years, go with your gut. If you feel like something should happen, I'm, you know, I'm writing it. Even though there are certain times when I write that and I, I believe it's actually going to happen or is going to have a good opportunity to happen. And there are other times where I just write it because I think it should happen. Mm-hmm. And this was one of those, okay? I think it should happen. There have been other ones of those too. But this is one of those where I feel very strongly about it because, and I'm just going to, I'll get out of this real quick because I'm taking too long on this. Nick Chubb had a very major surgery, very major injury. He has to wait another two to three months to have the next surgery to repair the ACL. And then he's going to need at least nine months to come back from that, okay? Now, considering that it's not just that, that he's also coming back from a torn meniscus and a torn MCL and a ruptured medial whatever that is we again. Can't, we can never remember, never remember I keep the forgetting medial the medial yeah. thing. Um, so because he's got all of these things going on in the knee and that it's a revision of his Georgia knee blowout, it's not going to be easy for him to come back in 2024 and be the player that he was before this injury. He is a freak. We know that about him. And nobody's counting out Nick Chubb. But in the meantime, what would be the harm in having another really Nick Chubb like back? Trade him if you need to. If Nick Chubb comes back and starts running through the wall for you, go ahead and trade Jonathan Taylor then if you need to. You'll be able to get something for him. He's 24 years old. You could be set up for the next five years with him. Second, third, and fourth round picks in 2023 and a fifth in 2024. That's what McCaffrey cost the the 49ers. Um, And the 49ers are interesting because everybody talks about um, the Rams and the the F them picks mindset. The Niners are just throwing picks. I mean, the Niners blew, what was it, the second pick in the draft on a quarterback, and they're just completely unfazed by it. And they gave up a bunch of picks to go get that second pick. So the Niners don't care about draft picks either. Listen, I, I think you have to at least look into it. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I would do it or not, to be honest with you. But I think if you're all in, if you're trying to win the Super Bowl, and you can get a guy like Jonathan Taylor for a set. I mean, you, you traded a second-round pick for Elijah Moore. Like, I mean, that was kind of a move down. But still, you traded a second-round pick for him. I think you have to at least look for it if Indianapolis really gets serious uh, about trading him, if, if they decide that they just don't want to deal with it anymore and move on from him. I, I think you at least have to kick the tires because sort of like how McCaffrey fit really well into San Francisco's offense, Jonathan Taylor is the type of runner the Browns are used to having. I think he would fit pretty well into what they do here in this in this scheme. So I don't know. I, I honestly, when when you put that up, Mary Kay, my first thought was like, oh, does she know something? Because sometimes, yeah, sometimes you do write these columns and then <laughs> right. two months later it happens. So right. Amari Cooper trade. <laughs> right. Elijah, Elijah Moore. Moore. Yeah. Again. Honestly, this one was not one of those where I had, where I really, really felt like I knew that this had a strong chance of happening. But I went with it anyways because I really strongly feel that it should happen. And I think that he would be worth the money that you're going to have to pay him. They don't want to pay running backs this amount of money. But you're paying so many different positions so much money. If you can get a Nick Chubb-like performance from this guy for the next five years... That's worth the money. 
And I mean, I just think like I, with each passing week and, and temper this with the fact that like, the last two weeks they have struggled in the run game, right? So like, I don't want to let my opinion get too clouded by that. But from everything we've seen and everything we know, I don't know that they are on track to replicating what Nick does, even by committee right now. So if they, and not every team has a Nick Chubb, obviously. So if they feel like they can get by without that and can get by with what Jerome Ford can do and what Kareem Hunt can do and go ahead and do that. But if this offense cannot function without this kind of runner and couple the fact Jonathan Taylor can get involved in the pass game too. He's a good runner, just like Nick is a good runner. And we heard a lot today from Andrew Barry about the ripple effects of Nick's injury and how it's impacted the return game. So say they do bringing him in. Okay, great. Then you can put Jerome Ford back there to be your primary returner again all of a sudden. Maybe that looks a lot better. I do think, Dan, like you're right. Like you have to kick the t- Can you be insane not to kick the tires on this, right? Yeah. I mean, you have to. He's too good of a player and he wants out. And, and by the way, like if he's available, I bet Andrew at least looks. Like, we know Andrew well enough. I know, I know there's a lot of people on Twitter that think they're BFFs with Andrew and think he would never <laughs> do that. But, like, we've covered this guy and know how this guy operates and know how all in this team is right now. To know he would at least take a look. That doesn't mean he pulls the trigger on a deal. But I bet he would at least look if he knew he had a chance. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he would. Because when I look at Jonathan Taylor's age, uh, the fact that he is 24 means that you at least have to look into it. Okay, I did write that they should have acquired DeAndre Hopkins. And I still think that they should have acquired DeAndre Hopkins because I felt like Deshaun Watson needed someone that he had a comfort level with. And so what that he's sort of had an overlap with Amari Cooper in terms of skill set. I still felt like he needed to have somebody that he really 100% could go out there and throw touchdown passes to, and it was going to be money. Take it to the bank. Um, but I'm sure the Browns knew more than we do, and I'm, you know he's probably lost a step or, or whatnot. But not Jonathan Taylor. He's 24 years old, and I have reason to believe that he would welcome a trade to the Cleveland Browns. I think they should at least look into it. Let's do this. What else stood out to you guys from Andrew Berry's presser today? Well, Ashley, what was something that kind of stood out to you? I guess, too, like, if we're going to go the positive route a little bit, like, he seems very high on Jim Schwartz and what Jim (laughs) Schwartz has done for this defense, which, like, it's hard not to be given the results. And and I think he makes, like, the interesting point about we have to learn how to counterpunch now because I don't think they did that really well against the Ravens. Todd Munkin came in and had a really good, great game plan and exploited some things. But I think the more you see that, you're going to learn how to respond to that. And Jim Schwartz will figure out plans and things to counter and game plan for people and things like that. But, I mean, I think so far to me, like, it sounds like this is just how Andrew Berry thought it would go. We know he respected Jim Schwartz from their time in Philly together. Um, So I think that was interesting to single him out in that way because, we know, these guys don't like to single people out a lot of the time. And I thought the stuff on the personality was interesting, yeah. right? Like the he welcomes personality and all. I thought that that stood out to me that that he specifically mentioned that as something he likes. By the way, I feel like the defense they did not play their best game on Sunday. I'm not arguing that. I do feel like they got caught up a little bit in how bad the offense looked and kind of all the like gnashing of teeth about that game. Because when I rewatched it, so you get past that second quarter, it's 21 to three. Not great. They gave up seven yards in the third quarter, and it was 21-3 to at the end of the third quarter. 
if you give up seven yards in a quarter, your offense should be able to get back in that game. And I, I still think the biggest issue was was the offensive side, but that was sort of an aside to, to what Ashley said. But yes, he was very complimentary a couple of times uh, of Jim Schwartz in this presser. Yeah, I think that they're looking at the the Ravens game as an aberration, and that they really are on to something here with their excellent, excellent defense. My only concern about this is that heading into the San Francisco 49ers game against a player that we have been talking about here a little bit in Christian McCaffrey, he's coming off a game in which he scored four touchdowns against the Cardinals. Now, the Cardinals defense is not to be confused with the Cleveland Browns defense. The Browns have a better defense. Um, so they're hopefully for them, they're not going to let that happen. But, you know, they, they did not have their best game against the Ravens. I will add, however that it doesn't help matters when you have uh, when you set your defense up at the 10-yard line for one of the touchdowns in that game, mm-hmm. and then you set your defense up at the 36-yard line of the Cleveland Browns uh, for another touchdown in, in that game. So two of DTR's three interceptions went for touchdowns. The, the defense, in its own right, down for down, really only gave up or you know is fully responsible for 14 of those 28 points. And, you know, if you can hold them to, you know, even 20 points, you know, by rights, you probably would have had a chance to win that game if Deshaun Watson was your quarterback. So I still think that what we saw from this defense in the first three games of the season, I think, you know, I think it's sustainable for the most part. But we do have to wait and see just a little bit. Because remember, they played a horrible Bengals team in in the beginning with uh, Joe Burrow playing in his first game. And bad weather. And bad weather. So, okay, it seemed like they were world beaters after that, but you know what, let's temper that a little bit. Uh, You know, then they did a nice job against the Pittsburgh Steelers, but there were some issues there too. I mean, they didn't have their best receiver and whatnot, but I mean, we'll we'll give them their just dues for a nice game against, um, you know, against Pittsburgh. And then... um, you know, and then they, they had a, a, a really good dominant game against the Titans in which Andre Dillard, I mean, he was just completely 100% overmatched by Miles Garrett. They had no answer for Miles Garrett. Teams that have an answer for Miles Garrett are going to fare so much better against this Cleveland Browns defense. I mean, if you have a good left tackle or some good offensive lineman, then you're going to have some answers for you know, for, for this defense. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the 49ers game, because if you stacked two back-to-back shaky defensive performances, you know, then they're going to start to, people are going to start to question what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I, I guess I'm just like, so Andrew opens with this long sort of, I called it, when I asked him about it, I called him like the a state of the union address about the team. He's never done that before. And I just thought that was really interesting that he decided to do that today on a week five bye. Um, I, I, that just, that was one of those moments where I'm sitting there like, what exactly is happening right now? And like you said, Mary Kay, you've kind of learned, you know, if you feel something, write it, like... You know, I've kind of learned, like, sometimes these things mean nothing, but it's always worth just kind of remembering, or if something feels weird, or if something feels different, like, okay, why? Like, why did this happen? So, he he explained that he just, it was a little bit of self-evaluation, like, he wanted to do better when he told us about the team and stuff like that. But, 
it just stood out to me that he decided today was the day to sit down and kind of offer a, a state of the union. Maybe he was just delivering a message to the fans. I don't know, but it, it was just very un-Andrew-like based on our previous interactions with him. Yeah, I think it was a new PR strategy. I don't think that he completely came up with that on his own. Right. I think he wanted to tell the good news of the football team. I think in that, he had an opportunity to, to talk about the culture change on the football team. He spent a lot of time on that. He talked about Nick Chubb and how the community has embraced Nick Chubb and sent a school, uh, sent cards to Nick Chubb. I think he decided... Uh, you know, to to broadcast some of the positive things that are going on, because right now, heading into the bye, coming off of getting your butts kicked by the Baltimore Ravens and losing 28 to three, it has people kind of like wondering, what is this team? And I think he wanted to bring it back to, hey, we've got a long way to go and we want the fans to stay with us and we want you uh, you know, to see all the good stuff that's going on. So I think it was a PR strategy uh, that was developed before, you know, before he got up there. And it's interesting in that sense, too, because this, these guys have been so, they're so good at, like, at least pretending that they block all that stuff out. So it was very clearly like, yeah, we're hearing all this stuff, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to send the message that it's early, and there's a lot of good things going on, and here's, I don't even know how long it was, maybe seven minutes. It had to be seven or eight minutes. I mean, the whole press conference was like 40, like we got our recorders back and I said, 41 minutes? I'm like, it doesn't feel like it was that long. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was probably eight or so minutes remembering back I, I to think the transcript. I, I think I transcribed yeah. the tail end of it for the group and I started at like yeah. seven and a half minutes. Yeah, I mean, like it was, it definitely was kind of weird. And when he got up there and... He said, like, I want you all to bear with me for a minute. I'm like, what is he about to tell us? I'm like, is there about to be, like, some actual, like, breaking news that we're going to have to, like, kind of refocus a little bit while Mary-Kate writes a quick story and everyone else tries to keep it going? Um, but, yeah, I mean, I definitely think... I don't, I don't want to use the word calculated because that has a negative connotation, but, like, I, I don't know what other word fits here. Like, it definitely was a strategy that it seemed like to me to kind of, you know, like Mary Kay said, go over and highlight the good things and, and maybe stop some of the spiraling because I think the reality right now, you know, the, the old saying, the cliche that you are what the record says you are, <laughs> and right now they're a 500 football team with a very early bye week that has a long way to go and has a really difficult team coming in here after the bye and they could very well be two and three after and again this organization has given up a lot to get the quarterback they got and so far it's not really worked out in any tangible way except for one game this year when he looked really good so they're still waiting for that to come together um so I don't know I think all that kind of explains it when you remember the recent history of this team and, and changing the narrative and all the work they have to do there all right, Mary Kay, why don't you wrap us up with, with another thing that we might have missed here? Well, one of the things that Andrew harped on a lot today, a lot, was the fact that they have turned the ball over 10 times and, um, and that they have lost the turnover battle in each one of their first four games. When you consider that, it, it is actually quite remarkable that they are 2-2 two and two mm -hmm. because most of the time, about 80% of the time or 78% of the time, you lose the game when you lose the turnover battle. So I think that's also a testament to how good the defense is because the defense was able to, uh, for a lot of the times, not give up points on some of those turnovers. So uh, I think what he was trying to say is, hey, look, 
we're still a really, really good football team. We're just giving the ball away. And once we stop giving the ball away, we're going to win a lot of football games. So hang in there with us. And when I think it was our Terry Pluto asked him something about what do you need to do? He said, one, two, three, four, and five. We need to stop turning the ball over. And, in, and the corollary to that is they need to start taking it away more, which I think they will do that as they move forward. Um, but that was, you know, that, that was a, a big issue for him today. Yeah, you don't usually hear a GM kind of get dig down that deep into, like, you know, the little things in a game that cause. But, yeah, he was very adamant that turnovers were turnovers were a big, big point of emphasis this week. However they're going to fix that, it feels like that's a huge point of emphasis this week. Yeah, I mean, and I think it, it needs to be, right? Especially thinking back to that Steelers game that they lost when they give away two defensive touchdowns because they gave the ball away. And it's it's tough. I mean, even the DTR interceptions this past week, like we've talked about. So I think it's interesting on the defensive side. I've mentioned this before, how they – this doesn't feel like last year. Like, last year, takeaways were a big issue, and it felt like they knew that and – we're really trying to rectify it, and it didn't work out. Like, nothing they did seemed to work. And, you know, we heard about they're taking it away in practice. Like, we don't know what's going on. Jim Schwartz last week talked about you can't overemphasize getting takeaways because then you can leave yourself more prone and open to explosive plays because basically guys are gambling to try to get the ball. And, like, you, you have to find that balance. It doesn't feel like there's that stress over that this year in the same way. Like, I believe kind of what Mary Kay said, that, like, they think this is going to – it's going to work itself out. And I, I think so far from what we've seen, that's kind of true. Like, I'm inclined to believe that. Okay, there we go. Andrew Berry's uh, bi-week press conference. Uh, we've got a fun pod coming your way on Friday. We didn't ask us anything. Uh, we recorded that the other day. So that's going to go up on Friday. Just make sure you're subscribed to Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Look for Orange and Brown Talk. Search for Orange and Brown Talk on Instagram, too. Uh, get some reels and things like that over there. And also on our YouTube channel, uh, go to YouTube. Search Cleveland Browns on Cleveland.com. You will find that. And Football Insider, the blue banner at the top of the page, cleveland.com slash browns to get the newsletter, become a texter, and get access to the stories that are behind the paywall at cleveland.com. All right, I think the bye week is officially here now. This was it. We are. Uh, we will talk to you again. Like I said, Friday we got a pod coming. We'll be back with a Hey Mary Kay at some point, either later Monday or it'll go up early Tuesday morning. Uh, until then, for Ashley and Mary Kay, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening, everybody.